Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Some good news to quickly share with you before we begin the show today. I've always said, kind of jokingly, that the whole podcast industry thing is completely dependent on people commuting. And uh, as soon as, you know, self-driving cars are there, um, that's it for podcasts. And of course, it was a joke because, you know, self-driving cars, that's not happening anytime soon. And the idea that we would ever actually stop commuting seemed like a fantasy And then the pandemic hit and everybody stopped commuting. And um, sure enough, there's been a big drop across the podcasting industry because people's podcast listening habits are tied to their lifestyle and to their morning commute on the subway or on the highways to work. And so a lot of podcast companies are seeing major dips in listenership. But we haven't. Uh, Our listenership has actually grown overall. And that means a lot to us. That's good news. That means a lot because what it means is that though your daily routines have changed drastically, you've kept us as a part of them. And, um, we feel deeply appreciative of that and it is helping us power through and, and do the work that we do as we endure what is a pretty disastrous business situation out there for media writ large. And that is why, yes, uh, I am reminding you that if we are valuable enough to you that you've kept us in the mix of your daily routines, if we are helpful to you in keeping you informed or just keeping you company, uh, we really could use your support and it's easy to do. You can find a link in your show notes if you're listening uh, through Apple or uh, any other type of podcasting app. Uh, There's a, a link you can click. Uh, not Spotify, however, if you're listening on Spotify or if you're listening on a desktop, you're going to have to go to canadalandshow.com slash join, but it's also really simple. And for five bucks Canadian a month, you can get ad-free podcasts from us. Please do. Thank you. We've never needed the news more. Everybody's at home following along all day. 
checking for updates, reading long-form deep dives about the science, poring over data journalism. Local journalism has never been more crucial. People need to know what's happening right where they live. Our need for the news, our dependence on the news, it's even been formally recognized. Media has been deemed an essential service. But at the same time that the news has never been more important, the news industry has never been more degraded. Our industry is under siege. There have been confirmed cases of COVID-19 at CTV Toronto, at Global News, at CBC Ottawa, at the Toronto Star, and at Bell Media Studios. There have been layoffs during this pandemic at Torstar, at the Saltwire newspaper chain out east, and at the Black Press chain out west, at Kojiko Media's radio stations, at Metro Montreal, at Exclaim, the Toronto-based music newspaper, at alternative news weeklies, including Now, the Georgia Strait, and The Coast, which has ended its print edition. There have been pay cuts at the Winnipeg Free Press and at La Presse, and Post Media has warned its staff to expect the same. And there have been closures. The Vancouver Courier has suspended publication after 112 years of reporting the news. Torstar closed a number of community newspapers, and the Canadian Jewish News has shuttered after 60 years of serving its readers. There are also unseen and undocumented casualties, freelance reporters and photographers, workers who never had jobs to lose, but who have nevertheless seen their incomes suddenly evaporate, along with their ability to cover the news. The collapse of our beleaguered and broken industry, which has been underway for years, has been suddenly expedited. The ad market has all but vanished. Things have never been worse. And that's easy to miss, because even those of us who are still in it are kind of in denial. Having this monster story to cover that changes every day, having purpose, having everybody's attention, knowing that your work is useful and valuable, even if it's not valued, this is what we live for. And the days can fly by without much time left over to clock what we've lost, what we're losing every day. And without much time to contemplate what's going to be left when this is all over. Well, today we're going to take that time. We're going to check in with journalists across this country and across this industry to find out how it's going, how they're working, how management is treating them, and what they need to keep bringing us the news that we need. The news that we hit refresh on again and again to find our way through this. What you're going to hear are some people speaking to us on the record, some with their names omitted and their voices disguised because they fear that speaking out might cost them their jobs. And one reporter from Post Media who has asked for those reasons that we not use their voice at all. That reporter's words will be read to you verbatim by our senior producer, Kasia Mihailovic. So today we bring you voices from your Canadian news industry, under siege. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Conrad Griba, Linnea Tan, Chris Langford, Jordana Easterbrook, William Ruth, Angelina Early, Josh Long, and Michael Hutchison. Hi, my name is Michael. I work at a nonprofit in Toronto, and I support Canada Land because they're consistently producing high quality content across all their shows always a worthwhile listen on a commute or whatnot. 
This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Last thing I want to tell you about right now uh, are some changes that we're making on the fly to our series Commons. Our podcast Commons, as you may know, has been doing this season on radicals, on Canadians who took things to the edge uh, or, well, past the edge. And they put out three fantastic episodes about that. But, you know, that was planned before this pandemic hit, and we've been talking about it with the Commons team, and everybody here feels that we need to devote everything we have towards covering this pandemic. And so this week, Commons is pressing pause on their season about radicals and instead dedicating themselves to debuting Commons Pandemic. And what they're going to be doing is applying the same gripping documentary storytelling to what is happening right now. And specifically, the first thing they're going to look at over a series of episodes are our long-term care homes. A vast majority of the deaths taking place right now are happening in these homes, and that cannot be ignored. There is history here. What happened with these homes, it started a long time ago. How we got into this situation needs a lot of scrutiny. It needs a deep dive. And that is what Commons is doing. This is going to be well worth your time. And if you have information about long-term care in Canada that you think our team should know, send it to Archie at canadalandshow.com. And if you're not subscribed to Commons, this is a good time to do that. The world isn't looking right now, but the story marches on. It, it definitely changed everything I was, I was working on. Really, all stories now are, are COVID stories. There was a fear of being laid off at one point. I think that there's a lot of fear in the organization. How are we reporting on this every single day? And 
it just hasn't clicked in that maybe we should also follow these rules. Newsrooms need to be together. I guess I realize I have to find another place to work. The last thing I want to do is make this worse for anybody. I'm a Chase producer freelance at CTV News Channel. Do you feel that CTV is taking the health of its employees seriously? No, not at all. I think it first became an issue for me probably close to the end of February. So we have guests that come into the studio um, and we have to put microphones and um, like IFB earpieces on them occasionally. So that was when I first realized that this was becoming an issue because I was touching the microphone. I was putting it close, like, you know, a few inches down from their mouth. I was putting an earpiece directly into their ear and I realized how much I was touching these people. It, if somebody coughed and it got on the mic and then I touched it and wiped it down, you know, they're, and washed my hands, I can only be so diligent with it. Um, and especially when sometimes we have back-to-back-to-back guests, there isn't an opportunity for me to run to the washroom and wash my hands. At first, they suggested we only have guests come in if they haven't traveled. And, you know, my question is, what if they lie? What if they didn't, what if they did travel and they just aren't being honest with us? And that's when one of my managers laughed and said, you know, you're cynical like I am. And then I think the next day they announced that we wouldn't have in-studio guests. But this was all word of mouth. None of it was put in email. So we all were just kind of relied upon each other to tell us, tell each other what the latest information was. And to this day, not a single email uh, that I have seen and that some of my colleagues that I've spoken to have seen has gone out saying, you know, this is what we're doing. These are the steps that we are taking to make sure that you are safe. And even when I asked, you know, how many cases there had been in the newsroom or at our location, my management that I work with, they said that they don't even have that answer. They know of two people that we work directly with that tested positive. I think the first one was two weeks ago. Um, They sent out a a company-wide email for that one. They sent out a big email. They didn't identify who it was, but they identified where in the building it happened and anyone who had been in contact with that room or that person was put on isolation. The second person I actually only found out about sometime in the last week. So this person ended up putting out a big post on Facebook about their experience. They developed symptoms at the end of March, so they've been self-isolating since then, and only just recently, on April 15th, I think they tested positive. Had this person not posted about it on Facebook, I don't think they would have told me. So I've actually been on work from home for probably the last month, but we're on rotation. I'm back in the newsroom uh, now, and now they're slowly rotating us through so that there's one chaser in the newsroom at all hours of the show, basically. And we have gone down to a skeleton staff. But again, that was an issue that the staff had to bring up. At one point, I stood up and I was like, can you guys not, can people not sit next to me? Like, you're putting me at risk and I'm putting you at risk because I also take the TPC to get to work. And then I remember one of the bosses saying, oh, maybe we should sit six feet apart. And it's like, yeah, how are we reporting on this every single day? And it just hasn't clicked in that maybe we should also follow these rules. A week ago, it was awful. I was so stressed about this coming week of having to return to the office that I think I was crying almost every day. I was just so upset and so scared. Now, 
like, well, this is it. Like, I have to, I have to go. I have my hand sanitizer. I have masks to wear. Like, there's not really much else I can do because I can't not work, right? You know, I'm still, at least I'm lucky enough that I still have a job. This is why I got into journalism. I got into journalism to inform people of what's going on and, you know, what we need to be looking at and these big stories that people need to pay attention to. I kind of, I feel like I have to get good guests and these good people on air who know what they're talking about and can actually inform our audience in a clear and concise manner of what they should be afraid of, what they shouldn't be afraid of, what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do, because it still is so confusing. Yeah, I can remember that I was standing outside of a Starbucks, um, taking a fresh air break from working on a book, listening to the radio on my phone and thinking, well, this can't possibly come here. I don't need to pay too much attention to this. I think it was around Christmas. My name is Omar Mualam. I'm a freelance writer and journalist, and I started something called Pandemic University Pop-Up School of Writing to give some writers some work and raise some money for writers in the time of COVID. Now introduce yourself as you might have before COVID. Ah, that one. <laughs> I'm a freelance writer and journalist in Edmonton, and uh, I mostly do magazine writing and feature writing. It's funny, the moment that it sunk in, also at a Starbucks, I did the same thing that I've been doing for the past few months. Um, only when I arrived, the floor was cleared of all the chairs and tables, and they weren't letting anyone sit. It was takeout only. And I guess I realized I have to find another place to work. The way that I had paced my income schedule was to finish my manuscript, and then immediately start um, bringing in some revenue to, to carry me through the summer until, you know, I see my next my next book check. Some stories that were assigned to me months ago, I was finally able to get around to writing them. And as soon as I started, really within a day or two, my editor started contacting me and saying, hey, you got to hold off on this. Um, I can't, I can't spend any money right now. Uh, our magazine is might go on a temporary hiatus or the other, you know, the other thing that I was getting from editors is um, it's not a good time to tell this story. We need to, we need to tell stories about COVID or rather it's not a good time to, to tell this story. I don't think people are going to be reading it. Um, people just want to read about the pandemic and know what's going on with that. The conversation from the conversations that I was having with freelancers, they were facing the same thing that I was. Um, they were immediately seeing assignments like my own uh, killed or put on hiatus indefinitely, or opposite to that, they were super busy. Um, some saying that they were, they were busier than they've been in a very long time. However, the pay rates were half of what they were receiving before the pandemic, which is crazy to me. Um, pay rates for freelancers are already not anything great in one week to see people going from 50 cents a word to 25 cents a word or a dollar a word to 50 cents a word or lower than that. And the editor's apologizing and saying, I'm sorry, this is, this is the best that we can do right now because our advertising has dried up. Uh, that was, that was really scary to me to hear that. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to name names, but you know, certain, certain publications have already cut back their, their distribution, right? 
So my name is Amber Bracken. I'm an independent photographer. To be to be honest, at this time I'm I'm underemployed because I'm only doing assignments as they come in um, and a few small pitches. But there's just not a lot of resources for those kinds of things. But when I when I am going out to photograph, either very socially distanced or I'm obviously taking all the precautions. I have, you know, the mask, the gloves, the disinfectant now. So I'm based in Edmonton. I've spent a little bit of time uh, photographing on some local reserves. I should clarify when I say I've been to reserves, I've been to the checkpoint at reserves. So keeping like strong social distance between between myself and an already socially distanced checkpoint at the edge of the community. I'm not spending time going in and out of people's homes. I don't think that that's safe or advisable at this time. You know, it's not just me that's at risk. In fact, it's other people that I worry about a lot more than myself. It goes against everything in my regular practice that normally I, I'm trying to get as close as possible. And I'm in this case, I need to do exactly the opposite. I need to stay away. Um, and so there's been a few things that I photographed, like I did one thing for the Globe where we actually photographed somebody through their uh, Skype camera, um, which was pretty interesting. But for the most part, I, I can't be near to people. And yeah, there, there's a tension there. And I think it, like I say, I think it's surmountable, but you have to take extraordinary precautions. I've seen some really good reportage out of New York and Italy, but what they're doing are essentially wearing like full hazard, like hazmat suits, like with the booties and everything. And they just, they have resources and someone to talk through safety plan to do that. And it's not something that as a freelancer, I can tackle. It's exactly the opposite of a war photographer or other dangerous situations where it's not myself that's at risk. It's everybody else. So I can't charge in without thinking things through because it's not me that's in danger as much as it is everybody else and I the last thing I want to do is make this worse for anybody I I spent basically the first part of this year covering with Suiden photographing as they resisted police activity in their in their territory and then I had all of these plans to continue that coverage and, and other stories that were coming up and then all at once it's the coronavirus just arrived and everything just stopped I could no longer go safely go back to the territory. The construction is ongoing and <laughs> there's still people in the work camps and they're still doing pre-construction for the pipeline. So it's sort of like the world isn't looking right now, but the story marches on. And the thing is, is news has quieted down or a lot of that stuff has stopped. I mean, it hasn't. We just that everyone only really cares about coronavirus right now. In any situation, in any new situation, your photographer is by default your frontline person. We can't really do our jobs from home. So if you see them out in the community, remember that they're risking themselves and trying to, you know, do important work for the community at the same time. We have locked down our studios. We've got one person who's allowed to go into our studios each day. And we've appointed two new reporters since this started, about a month ago, each of them. I have not seen either of those new reporters face-to-face -face yet. I am Ollie Williams. I am the head of programming and news for Cabin Radio in the Northwest Territories. And where are you speaking to me from? Uh, well, my living room in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, where I have been running things from for, ooh, six weeks now. The biggest thing we've done differently is I've started anchoring a nightly video uh, through Facebook, nightly Facebook live video. We call it COVID Corner. 
and uh, it it basically wraps up everything that has happened related to COVID-19 in the NWT each day. The Premier of the Northwest Territories comes on every Tuesday, 7 p.m., takes whatever questions we've got, whatever questions the audience has live on video. I mean, the finance minister's on tonight. Uh, chiefs of our First Nations have been on. We're, we're trying to run that. It's almost like a really lo-fi evening newscast, just fronted by me with a bit of other video in there and stuff like that, that tries to deliver what is otherwise an overwhelming level of news, both in terms of how much there is and what it actually is when you look at it. I'm not always satisfied. Sometimes we will have the premier or another minister come on and we'll ask a bunch of questions and feel like we didn't really get any of the right answers. But it at least gives us an avenue each week to demonstrate that we're asking those questions. And it gives us an avenue each week to try to hold people to commitments. I mean, an example from yesterday's live show with the premier was, you know, our power rates here are four times what you pay for power anywhere else in Canada in the south. That right now is a huge cost because all of our territorial government staff have been sent to work from home. So many other people have been sent to work from home as well. All of our kids are at home. They're learning from home. Power bills for ordinary residents of the NWT have gone through the roof and they were through the roof in the first place. But there are as yet no rate cuts or any other real supports, benefits, subsidies other than the territorial government saying, look, you can defer your payment for a few months, which is useless for a lot of people because if they can't pay now they're not going to be able to pay in a few months either so last night i was able to get the premier on and, and have that conversation and say look hundreds of people want this to happen thousands of people want this to happen my phone has been going off the hook all week with people asking us to ask you these questions and there wasn't really an answer last night but it gives me the chance to say live on the air look will you commit to coming back next week with an answer and the answer was yes newsrooms need to be together you need to have that atmosphere of journalists being able to collaborate and talk to one another and have a kind of easy freewheeling exchange of ideas to get stories done well. And that's really difficult when everybody is stuck at home operating under quite severe restrictions with all sorts of personal issues, worrying about families. You know, my family's back in the UK. I, I don't even have a clue how I would get to them at this point if I needed to. I'm sure other people have got the same concerns. How you manage a newsroom where people have those concerns, but they also need to be doing that job in that collaborative sense. And I don't know that I've necessarily figured that out yet. I don't know that messenger conversations and the occasional phone call are really doing it, but we're all off our feet working at the same time because there's so much news and there are so many people reading it. I mean, the other thing is figures for our website are off the charts, completely off the charts. They're like two, three, four times what they would ordinarily be. And our newsroom is part funded by our readers. So we have a Patreon, uh, as Canada Land does, as a lot of people do, that doesn't quite pay for a full reporter, but you know what? It's pretty close at this point, and it's doubled in size during the pandemic, which is fantastic, and a big thank you to our readers. So that's huge. That's huge for us, because our advertising, like anywhere else, our advertising is taking a hit, but also we're getting, we're getting money in from new sources that I wouldn't necessarily have bargained on. As an example, last night's COVID Corner was sponsored by the first patient in the Northwest Territories to be diagnosed with COVID-19, who said, they wrote in anonymously, I've still no idea who they are. They wrote in and they said, look, I'd like to sponsor a show. I really appreciate the coverage. It was pretty scary getting COVID-19 and being the first person in the NWT to get it. I'd like to sponsor a show. My name is Alicia Hashem. I'm a court reporter with the Toronto Star. In fact, I went to court very briefly this morning to pick up a recording that I needed uh, for work. That was the first time I've been to court since uh, March, I guess. And so it means doing a lot more work remotely, trying to cover courts remotely, which has been uh, 
a new challenge, not something that I think has ever happened before other than in some really rare circumstances. In addition to covering courts, there's been a number of other things on the justice front that uh, we've had to move to cover, including what's going on in jails and prisons. So it's certainly been busy. Really, most court stuff these days, though, is still in some way linked to COVID just by necessity. So most of the, at least criminal proceedings, involve people in custody, people trying to get out of custody. Even in the sentencing hearing that I covered, um, one of the first ones that was accessible remotely, a large part of that sentencing hearing involved trying to create a craft a sentence that would allow the man to leave custody as soon as possible in a way that might not normally have been done. So really all stories now are, are COVID stories. Now, especially, um, you know, you are relying on people to send you electronic copies of documents. I will say like people have been really helpful in terms of doing their best to answer questions or take calls or send out documents. But again, like, like this is a problem that I've always had is that relying on people to be helpful is not a substitute for a system that works, like a, a system that works for everybody. Sure, yeah, I'm Nicholas Hewn-Brown. Uh, I'm a freelance writer and the, uh, the senior editor at the local magazine. Uh, we're interested in, in telling stories about health and social issues in Toronto, uh, and we kind of have a magazine-y feel. You know, everything sort of shut down in that one week, right? Like, I, I think I think Friday was March 19th, maybe, is the last day of, of daycare and, and all that stuff. We were still kind of working on this issue that we planned to release in, in mid-March. The noise issue was the theme. We had, like, bunch of great pieces, a charming essay about how noisy restaurants are that now reads like a like weird missive from an alternate universe. We had our, our weekly meeting the next Tuesday and we said, let's put this noise issue on hold. We'll figure out, we'll figure out what to do with it in the future. And then we actually, we just didn't know what we were going to do. We kind of just paused everything for a second because like nobody wanted, I didn't want any of the kind of stuff that I do. My, my bread and butter is like thinky, long form, nuanced features, right? And like, I, I, I wanted no part of that. Like we wanted the latest numbers or I wanted like an explainer telling me if I had to wash my groceries. But yeah, it, it, it definitely changed everything I was, I was working on. But as things moved forward and like, I think our appetite for like what we want to read about is, has changed a little bit in the last few weeks instead of just kind of piecemeal throwing stuff out there, which never has, doesn't have much effect or you can't, you can't really grab people's attention that way. And it's not very satisfying. We thought we would put out a big package. Um, and with stuff changing so quickly, we kind of just wanted to, to see if we could like capture what one week in Toronto felt like. So Kat Eschner, who's a great science writer, she lives near Allen Gardens and she just wanted to spend the day there um, and kind of talk to the people who are like not able to shelter at home, right? We've shut down all of public space. There's no, no libraries, no Tim Hortons. The shelters are pretty pretty dire at the best of times and now there's you know positive cases there um so she just spent the day talking to homeless people and witnessing like the police kind of play this ridiculous game of cat and mouse with them where they're giving them 880 dollar tickets for sitting on benches and then sending them off and obviously no one's going to pay that ticket and there's nowhere for them to go and everyone knows this it also has some like some on the ground reporting which is you know almost everything else is done over the phone in, in this issue and in much of, of what we're reading these days so it was being able to actually put something out felt personally very good instead of just kind of worrying in my home and trying to take care of these two children. My, uh, my name is Emily. I'm a small town reporter in Hope, uh, BC. A lot of small town reporting 
is not necessarily these big scoops. A lot of it is more um, emotional. So a family member is telling a story. Um, and I'm just looking at our front page this week. Uh, we have a, a woman, April Parisian, she's Indigenous, and uh, she's been missing for over a week, um, I think almost two weeks now. And, you know, not being able to go and talk to her family, uh, not being able to really feel what they're going through or portray it. As journalists, we could just rely on news releases. Like I get news releases from the homicide squad for BC is investigating this um, case. So I get news releases from them once in a while and I write them. But there's something really big missing there if you don't have what the family is going through the emotions they're going through, but also who, you know, who they know April to be. So yeah, I'm still reporting, I'm still writing facts, but uh, the emotions I think are really, are really not there. There was a fear of being laid off at one point. Uh, now, I don't think that's going to happen, but it certainly was a weird thing because you're, you know, you're laying out a paper, you're on deadline, and you're working in a solo newsroom, and you're working on a really important story, like disappearance of a person and then at the same time you're just not quite sure what's going to happen next week with your work so it's it's definitely um, a bit stressful and yeah what more can I say about that I definitely still have a job but it's it's in flux and it's a bit hard to to just do that job while you're not quite sure what's going to happen or even if I'm safe you know what's going to happen to my colleagues I'm a reporter at Post Media. I think in terms of just personally you working, it's not easy to just keep working nonstop at this pace, covering COVID-related issues constantly every single day at a very heightened pace. And I don't know about other papers, but I feel that the company I work for has not stopped pushing. It hasn't said much about employee wellness, and I definitely haven't gotten any kind of check-in from upper management. We are just so inadequately staffed right now, we can't cover all the stories that we need to be covering. So while we laid off so much of our staff over the course of the last three years, it has meant that when a crisis like this hits, we're not very well equipped to cover it because we just lack the personnel. And what ends up happening then is we're working more. And we don't really have an excuse not to because what could you say? You're out somewhere? You can't really say that. And I know that's probably happening across a lot of industries, but I think it's particularly acute in media because we're also mentally having to cover this overall very depressing story day in, day out at a pace that is heightened. I think that there's a lot of fear in the organization after we got that email about a salary cut, that we are at the minimum, we're going to get a salary cut, and at the maximum, we lose our jobs. And I think it's fine and all that that the CEO is taking a 30% cut, but I don't see how that really changes anything for us. It's not like he's taking a cut in order to save some employees, you know? So we haven't heard anything more about that. But just from the tone of those emails that we got a couple of weeks ago, I still think that it's probably somewhere down the line. The biggest thing that has stood out for me working for Post Media is that all of a sudden editors have started taking notice of stories we've been pitching about workers, about groups who have not been beneficiaries of this economy in a way the professional class has, and people living paycheck to paycheck. 
So I think that the dynamic has been difficult covering this because it's almost like you have to convince editors that there are people in Canada who are desperately in need of benefits, who can't function if an economy shuts down, and for the most part, they are lower wage workers and marginalized people. You realize, oh right, I guess we don't talk about those people. We always get the perspective of business leaders, of politicians. Those are the perspectives that are in our papers, of companies. And to some extent, those perspectives are necessary. But we almost exclusively only have those perspectives. So now when people can't pay their rent, when frontline workers have to keep going to work, or when factory workers continue to work without hazard pay, those things have become issues that politicians are looking at and addressing. And therefore, we're just like, oh, it's a mainstream issue. We're covering it. That's your Canada Lad. Help us make more of them. If you like the show, you can get ad-free versions of it when you go to the show notes, click on the link, or go to canadalandshow.com slash join. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand, and our website is canadalandshow.com, where this week, Commons is launching a new series called Pandemic. Check it out. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer. Andrea Schmidt is our managing editor. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca.